Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. Well, the NBA and the WWE got a little bit in common. Lance Stevenson should definitely go straight into Vince McMahon's league with the way that he plays basketball. But last night, late, for those of you who were still up watching like me or those of you who had fallen asleep, like many of you, I would imagine, uh, craziness, zaniness, wild ending to the Pacers hosting the Cleveland Cavaliers. With about four minutes to go in this game, it appeared that today's show would sound a bit different. The Pacers had the opportunity to put the Cavs legitimately on the ropes. Even though they had not played well, even though, in particular, Oladipo had been absolutely awful. The Pacers had the lead, and they had a chance to really legitimately seize control of this series and put themselves into position to win this series and send shockwaves throughout the NBA and send LeBron James into probably the last major free agency of his career as a big-time loser in this game. And then Kyle Korver got hot. Kyle Korver, a couple of massive threes down the stretch. And as a result, the Cavs found a way to get this win. Now, there was let's, before we get to the way this game ended, let's be clear. In the final three or four minutes of this game, the Pacers' offense fell apart. They didn't take good shots. They didn't move the ball well. They lost the ability to rebound suddenly, uh, even though they had been getting so many rebounds off of missed shots and layups and everything else surrounding that for most of the second half. 
this was the Pacers game to win. The crowd was energetic. The crowd was wild. I was sitting back thinking, okay, where are we going to be broadcasting this uh, this outkick show from as way of me paying penance for saying there was a 0% chance the Pacers were going to win this series. Now, I think in the way the final four minutes of this series went, the Cavs are going to win. I feel like even though we're tied up at 2-2 and even though both of these games were incredibly even contests in Indianapolis and we're going back for a big game five on Wednesday night, I really do believe looking at this now that the Cavs will find a way to win this series. I think the final four minutes of game four will be one that the Pacers and their fans will look back on for then a long off season and say that was our opportunity to get the win here. Now, having said that, I don't believe the Cavs are very good. I think that LeBron James at this point in time is still the best player in the NBA, but I think he is surrounded by the weakest supporting cast he has had since he was at Cleveland before he left for Miami. This is not a good basketball team. Unless the guys get insanely hot outside, and that's what's basically going to come down to, is whether or not the Cavs can hit shots uh, from three-point range. They did pretty decently if you look at uh, the big shooters from outside. Corver got up nine three-pointers, and he hit four of them. And, uh, and <laughs> good old J.R. Smith drained that three at the end of the first quarter, which you know anytime a shot like that happens, inevitably it feels like it ends up being significant. If J.R. Smith doesn't drain that, whatever it was, uh, from beyond half court three, I think it made it 30 to 24, something like that, at the end of the first uh, first quarter. If he doesn't make that shot, then this game is so much more interesting because the Cavs end up winning by four. But can you imagine if the Cavs had had three less points down the stretch of this entire game? There would have been so much more nervousness this game would have been so much wilder but for that J.R. Smith shot. But J.R. Smith went 4 for 10 from distance, and those were basically the only other guys who were in double digits other than LeBron James. There are a lot of bad shots taken by the Cavs, lots of guys who just don't show up, and to me, that is, uh, that, that's kind of the story. And when I'm watching this game, also, what in the world has happened with Tristan Thompson? I know he's got baby drama. I know he's got relationship drama with the Kardashians. We're talking about a guy making an awful lot of money to play seven minutes last night and get one rebound. When you watch the way the Pacers were attacking the glass, particularly in the second half, are you really telling me that Tristan Thompson couldn't have come in and helped some? Given what he is making, that entire relationship is a mess. Now, I'm not going to put this on strange officiating because I think the Pacers lost this game in the final four minutes with their own offensive execution. I thought Oladipo was just flat out awful uh, in terms of how he played uh, in game four. I don't know if it was just uh, something that happens. I mean, he finished five of 20 from the floor, 17 points, but again, five of 20. If he's just mediocre, if he's just a little bit mediocre in this game, then the Pacers win and they're up 3-1, headed back to the Cavs game five on the road with a chance to close out this series and at a minimum 
Game 6 coming back to Indianapolis where the Pacers know they would be playing at home with a chance to end LeBron's season. All right, the other thing, before we get to the the way this game uh, completed itself, LeBron looks tired to me. I think it's partly that his cast that surrounds him is not very good, but LeBron last night played 46 minutes. No other player on the court played more than 41 minutes. Oladipo went for 41 minutes. LeBron James is 33 years old. He will turn 34 early next season. He played all 82 games. He does not, to me, appear to have the same lift that we are used to seeing LeBron James have. I think age is starting to catch up with him. Now, he made a couple of plays down the stretch, went to the basket and scored, uh, You know, kind of around those big three-point baskets by Kyle Korver. But I don't think I don't know who they're going to play next round because now we got a two-two uh, tie. The home team has won every game in the Raptors and in the uh, and in the Wizards series, and there are a lot of wide open contests right now in the NBA, which is in the first round at least proving to be much more interesting than the NHL playoffs. There are a lot more. There's a lot more uncertainty in the NBA right now in the first round than there has been in the NHL playoffs, which is honestly the exact opposite of what you would have anticipated. But to me, the Cavs are not a legitimate threat to win the championship. I'm not sure how good the Raptors are, given how bad they looked the last two games on the road against Washington. It appears that the 76ers could, at least for the Eastern Conference, close the door really quickly on the Heat now that they're back in Philadelphia and be sitting in the uh, conference semifinals feeling like they probably looked the best of all the eight teams that were in the NBA uh, playoffs from the Eastern Conference to start with. But I can tell you that the Cavs do not have the horses to win a championship. And even Cleveland fans out there, the most dyed-in-the-wool, hardcore Cleveland Cavalier fans imaginable, I think have to agree with me based on what they've seen through the first four games so far. I don't think LeBron is going to have the energy. I think they're going to have to go at a minimum six games here. And I think it's a decent chance it comes back for seven. It would still not stun me, given how close many of these games have been, if the Pacers put up a legitimately competitive game five and had a chance to still win game five. But oh, how close it could have been for the Indiana Pacers and what, in theory, could be a three-to-one lead. Now, so far, the other games, now that we've talked a lot about the, and I'll open up the phone lines, by the way, if you guys want to react, 877-996-6369. The in-game situation, the in-game situation to me in the Cavs-Pacers game was really strange. And I haven't gotten a good explanation, and I think certainly TNT did not do a good job handling it live because I think they were confused as to what was going on. If I want to give you the best-case scenario for what went down to end that game, it was that there were two different calls made of varying degrees in that final sequence with Lance Stevenson and Jeff Green. I know specifically that the the referee closest to the ball called a jump ball. If you watch the slow motion of that play, the referee closest to the ball called a jump ball. The referee further away underneath the basket, if you go back and watch the replay, appears that after a jump ball is called, he then calls a foul. If you watch. So that would mean, in theory, that you've got two contradictory calls there. 
You've got a jump ball called, which would have put Lance Stevenson against Jeff Green for a, uh, a tip ball that would have then potentially given the Pacers the opportunity to get possession and try to get up a three to tie the game. Or you end up having what the final result of the game was, which was a foul call on Lance Stevenson that led to Jeff Green shooting two free throws. He made the first one, and effectively the game was over at that point. I don't know how you can justify going back and watching that replay if the initial call was jump ball, which I believe it was. I don't know how you can go back and watch that replay and turn it into a foul on Lance Stevenson, and that's despite the fact that I believe it probably should have been a foul on Lance Stevenson based on the way he went down to the court in that situation. But, remember, once you call a jump ball, the wrestling for the ball after that point really shouldn't matter. It should be that you stick with your initial call and also the official who has the better angle and is closer to the play should be the official whose call governs And in this particular situation, when I watch the replay, what I see is a jump ball called by the official who's closest to the ball and then another official underneath the basket calling a foul. They go look at the replay and they come back and they say, you know what, we got a foul on Lance Stevenson. Jeff Green is going to shoot free throws. This does nothing to erase the idea that the NBA is like the WWE, that they just make it up as they go along. And that while you might end up with a form of functional justice here, i.e. if you're watching that, I think a lot of people see that more as a foul than they do a jump ball. If your initial call by the official who is closest to the ball is jump ball, I don't know how you suddenly change it and go back to a free throws for a foul call and free throws for the the Cavs. Now, that, didn't, that call did not win or lose the game for the Pacers. The Pacers had ample opportunity down the stretch to make plays that led to them having a 3-1 to one series lead. In fact, their offensive execution fell apart in the final four minutes of this game, and they ended up playing a lot of hero ball, not moving the ball at all, not, shoot, not uh, setting up good offensive, uh, offensive opportunities just kind of flinging the ball up on deep jump shots that were pretty well contested. Sometimes those go in. Look at Kyle Korver. Korver hit a couple of big-time shots where he was well contested. But, man, uh, you got to be a little bit sick to your stomach if you are the Pacers. And if you're the Cavs, I think you got to acknowledge this is not a team that's capable of winning a championship unless there happens to be more significant injuries in the Western Conference. We'll talk about all this. Again, phone lines are open. What did you think about the in-game situation there? 877-996-6369. I'm Clay Travis. Monday edition of Outkick the Coverage off and rolling. Appreciate all of you spending your week with us. We'll roll right into your calls and reactions of many different NBA, NHL, also NFL draft a week. We got an embarrassment of riches here. Lots of stories to discuss. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. A lot of other series going on. Let me run through some of those. I know many of you across the country focused on NBA and NHL series. 
Um, and I'll give you my early read kind of uh, on uh, on this week uh, as to what's coming. Celtics, Bucks, 2-2. I think it's wide open. I think this is a 50-50 series. Probably make the Celtics a little bit of a favorite since each team has won at home. But uh, anything could happen in this one. I don't think anybody would be surprised if either of these teams went on to win. Uh, the Warriors and the Spurs, congrats to the Spurs getting a Game 4 win to avoid being uh, kind of kicked to the curb in a thoroughly unceremonious fashion. But I think most of you out there would be very stunned if the Warriors don't go ahead and close that out in Game 5. Uh, it would be stunning beyond belief if somehow the Warriors collapse. So the Warriors look good in this situation. Uh, I, I felt good about the Raptors coming into uh, Washington. Instead, the Wizards came back, bounced back 1-2. I still think the Raptors are favored. Uh, I don't think that they will lose at home, but the series now tied at 2-2, the all-important Game 5 coming up. We talked a lot about the Cavs Pacers. I would now make the Cavs the favorites in this series. Uh, Rockets, Timberwolves, I know the Timberwolves got a win. Unless they also win tonight, it's hard for me to see uh, how the the Timberwolves are really going to take this to six games or more. The Rockets win tonight. I think they go back and they close it out in Game 5. Uh, the Pelicans, uh, biggest surprise of the opening round, I would say, winning in a st- sweep. Uh, Anthony Davis playing flawlessly, uh, and that series is already over. The Thunder and the Jazz, man, Ricky Rubio has been on fire. Uh, a triple-double in Game uh, Game 3 in this series. Can the Jazz really kind of take control of the series tonight? Uh, it'll be on late. We'll see whether or not the Jazz can continue their run and go up 3-1 in that series. These are all the NBA series. Uh, and uh, the Heat and the 76ers on Tuesday night, they will go back to Philadelphia where the 76ers will have their chance to close out that series. I believe that is all of the series that are currently underway. Lots of drama. Lots of drama associated with it. While the Bucks, uh, while sorry, while the Pacers and the Cavs has gotten most of the attention, uh, there have certainly a lot of series out there that are likely to go potentially six or seven games. All right, in the NHL, uh, the Penguins and the Preds both close out their series in pretty dominant fashion. The Penguins put up eight goals on the road. The Preds get a shutout and put up five on the road against the Avs. As we move into the uh, later games of the first round. Not as many good series as maybe we really anticipated. Uh, Tonight, there are a couple of game sixes. The Bruins going on the road against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Maple Leafs down 3-2, trying to force a game seven. And uh, the Caps have come surging back, winning three in a row since losing the first two at home. They are now trying to close out the Columbus Blue Jackets in that series and uh, we don't know if we're going to get any Game 7s at all in the first round of the NHL series. We're moving on to the second round. So far, the NBA has been much better probably than anticipated uh, relative to the NHL. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's go ahead and bring in, if Eddie Garcia is there, let's go ahead and get an update, and then I'll bring in the crew and find out what their biggest takeaway of the weekend of action that was in the NBA and the NHL kind of shakes down. Eddie, what you got for me? Well, Clay, uh, you kind of touched on it, but we'll give you a recap of the playoff action on Sunday in the NBA Cavaliers over the Pacers in Indiana, 104-100. to That series is tied at two. LeBron James, 32 points for Cleveland. Spurs avoid elimination with a 103-90 victory over the Warriors. 
LaMarcus Aldridge, 22 points, 10 rebounds for San Antonio. Golden State still with a 3-1 advantage. Wizards over the Raptors, 106-98. Bradley Beal, 31 points. John Wall, 27 points, 14 assists for Washington as they even the series of two. Bucks over the Celtics, 104-102. Giannis Antetokounmpo, 27 points, including the game-winning tip-in with five seconds to play for Milwaukee as that series is tied at two. NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. Penguins over the Flyers in Philadelphia, 8-5. Pittsburgh wins the series four games to two. Predators shut out the Avalanche in Denver, 5-0. Denver wins that series four games to two. This report brought to you by True Car. Online car shopping can be confusing, but not anymore with True Price from True Car. Now you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car. So visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Clay, a couple of quick notes from baseball Sunday night. It was the Dodgers edging the Nationals 4-3. to three. The A's beat the Red Sox 4-1. to one. Oakland taking 2-3 of three in the series from Boston, who came into that series red hot, including a no-hit loss against Oakland over the weekend. Astros beat the White Sox 7-1. to one. Houston's won six in a row. Bruins over the Marlins 4-2. Milwaukee's won six straight. Good stuff, uh, as always, as we get rolling into close to the second round. I think we're going to close out the NHL tonight uh, of the first round, and then we'll be on to uh, to effectively second round. Maybe we'll get some Game 7s, uh, but I tend to think that the Caps are going to go on the road and beat the Blue Jackets to win their fourth straight, and also that the, uh, that the Bruins are going to go on the road and win in Toronto. We'll see whether or not we end up with any drama there or not. Let me bring in the crew. Uh, your biggest takeaways from the weekend. Uh, there are a lot of activities going on. Obviously, this is also the NFL Draft Week. We're going to get into that a little bit in hour two. Who do we think is the most reliable? What's going to happen? How much movement is there going to be? Will any trades happen before we actually get to the day of the uh, of the NFL Draft on Thursday? Uh, so a lot of excitement this week. Kind of a packed week of activities uh, in the uh, late April scenario here. But Jason Martin, what jumped out to you the most of the weekend? LeBron is tired. There's no question about that. There's one stat that if you look at it, it shows that in the first half of these three playoff games, and now four playoff games, that we've seen with the Pacers. In the first half of these games, LeBron James's average shot distance in the first game was actually in the restricted area, but then it was nine feet and seven feet. And then in the second half of these games, it's 17 feet. It's 15 feet. Last night, I think it was right at 16 feet. So all of the burst that he has in the first half, in the second half, he's having to rely more on his jump shot because he's so fatigued from doing all that he's doing. If he were to somehow win the NBA Finals this year and actually win the Larry O'Brien Trophy, I don't know that we would have ever seen anything more impressive in the history of basketball than that. And it's absolutely not going to happen. The other takeaway is that in the East... I have no idea what's going to happen. The Raptors are raptoring right now. Whoever's backcourt is playing better in these four games is winning. Wall and Beal took it personal in game three, then did enough to win and got a little bit of help down the stretch after Beal fell that fouled out yesterday, and now that series is tied. I still think the Raptors are going to get through it, but it's not giving me a whole lot of confidence, which is what I was afraid of going into the series. DeRozan had nine points in the first quarter last night, all of them on free throws. He was 0 for 7 from the field. So he had 35 points, but it was not a particularly efficient 10 for 29 to get those 35 points. Philadelphia might be the most impressive, and I'm still waiting for youth to take over and cause them a lot of trouble, and it hasn't happened yet. So I just don't know what's going to happen in the East right now. The West, I've got no issues 
with the Warriors still. The Spurs just showed that they have a lot of class, a lot of dignity. A lot of teams would have just rolled over and planned to go on vacation. That's not what you're going to get from San Antonio, playing probably with a heavy heart with Popovich and all the things going on there. I think that they were impressive in what they were able to do. I think that'll be the only win that they get in the series. I'll be really interested to see how Houston comes out uh, in their next game against Minnesota. So I've been enjoy- I've, I think that these playoffs have been enjoyable. The situation at the end of the game with Stevenson, look, that's what Stevenson does. Stevenson's a really good basketball player, but he's an even better irritant. He always has been, especially for LeBron James. This is how this game needed to end for Lance Stevenson. I don't know that it helps the Pacers whatsoever. They didn't get it right on the floor as it happened. Then the announcers kind of fixed it in post, and then they went to inside the NBA and they explained it pretty easily when they brought Joe Borja on and basically said that two referees came out, one called a foul, the other one called a jump ball. The foul always takes precedence based on the NBA rule book. Not something we may have known going in, but something here's we saw my, on the way Here's my out. problem with it. Why does the first call not take precedence? To me, when you watch that replay... The guy close, and again, this is not the reason that the Pacers lost the ball, lost the game. They had that they had control, should have had control of that game down the stretch, should have gotten better shots than they did. Um, and this was not the even if they get the jump ball call there, the odds probably of them getting winning the jump ball and getting a three point shot to tie it, what like thirty percent there, twenty five percent, probably not very likely to happen. Could it happen? Yes, but. If you have the guy who has the call, the guy closest to the ball, and the first call is a jump ball, I don't understand how you can then call a foul from a guy further away. To me, that is, and, and we don't even know who the foul call was on, right? Because the guy who calls the second uh, the second foul is further away. I just I think that makes the NBA look bad. I think it's better to make a bad call in the situation and stick with the guy who has the better call than to have two conflicting calls and go to a replay and then say, you know what, actually, we're going to shoot free throws with Jeff Green. Now, TNT didn't help that situation. I think if they had said, instead of going to the uh, to the, the monitor with the idea being told to us who were watching live, oh, they're checking to see if Jeff Green did anything inappropriate you know, at the end of that play after the jump ball was called, that sort of sets in your mind what they're reviewing, and then they come out and they do something different. It just looks suspicious. And the NBA doesn't get the benefit of the doubt right now or for years when it comes to suspicious calls and what they end up doing. Now, imagine how much more controversial this would have been. And obviously, the situation would have been completely different because they wouldn't have been fouling in that situation. But but for the crazy-ass J.R. Smith 3 at the end of the first period, uh, first quarter, that would have been a tie situation in that game now I don't think obviously but who knows with Lance Stevenson he might have still been trying to get the tie up and put somebody on the on the line I mean you saw him just start walking with the ball I think that was in the fourth quarter right when the Pacers had the one point lead finally and they get a stop and then they throw it into him and he just takes like eight steps without deciding to dribble I don't even know what he was thinking so Lance Stevenson is I mean I really legitimately think he should go straight to the WWE I don't know how good of it he'd be with the mic I haven't actually heard him interviewed that many times, but in terms of his expressions, in terms of his ability to just sell things, I mean, in the ring, he would be phenomenal. Uh, Let me go out to L.A. L.A., what's your uh, biggest takeaway here? Uh, Danny G and uh, Justin, as we come in uh, to a new week, obviously the NFL draft going on, but the NHL playoffs, I think 
likely first round going to end tonight. We'll see what happens, whether we get any game sevens. But the NBA has been the superior and more entertaining product so far in the first round. Yeah, I've been loving the NBA playoffs. I watched almost every game this past weekend, way too much basketball. But Saturday, what stood out to me was the Sixers Heat series. I, so far, that's been the most enjoyable, I think. It's kind of like it got that mid-90s style physicality to it. It's been getting chippy with all the pushing and shoving. And Joel Embiid was pretty funny trying to sneak out onto the court without his Black Panther mask and uh, and pissed his coach off. And, and then did you see him swap that, that nice block he made and he still had the mask up on top of his head from when he was shooting free throws. So he hates wearing that mask. It was uh, funny watching him in that game. And then um, what I will say about Sunday – you were talking uh, Kyle Korver earlier. He was the player of the game, Clay. It's, it was, it's pretty amazing that he's overlooked. I mean, I know he's just kind of known as a sharpshooter, but when they were showing his effort on the court as far as the uh, – the, they call him the championship plays, the hustle plays, his energy and his defense is, is very underrated. So um, imagine if not just Korver but a few other players on the Cavs can actually step up and help LeBron, maybe he won't look so tired going into the next I, round. I don't know. I mean, as I'm watching down the stretch, I don't know why the Cavs don't run more set plays to get Kyle Korver three-point shots. I mean, they ran uh, a couple that it appeared to me down the stretch were designed to get him shots, not just you know in the flow of offense where he ends up taking a shot. Uh, to me, if I'm looking at LeBron and how tired he is in the second half, and, and the answer may be because Ty Lue doesn't know what's going on. I mean, I'm not sure there's ever been a coach more on the sideline who looks more clueless during the course of a game than Ty Lue. But, and, and effectively, LeBron is the coach on the floor. But why not run some more set plays designed to get Kyle Korver some looks? Like, why isn't Kyle Korver getting 10 three-point shots a game right now? When you have the offense that the Cavs do, and I think it's fair to say that it's broken down in many respects, right? Uh, I mean, you just look at what happens when LeBron doesn't have the ball in his hands. Do you feel confident that the Cavs are going to get a good shot up or run a a, a really kind of well-executed offensive set? Kyle Korver is one of the great shooters in the league. And even if he's taking contested three-point shots, I feel like a lot of times him taking contested three-point shots are better than the looks the Cavs are getting. And remember, I mean, obviously when you put the ball up up on the rim, uh, like he does, you get the opportunity to uh, to get a rebound. I mean, look, the Pacers dominated on the glass uh, and got a lot of offensive rebounds and everything else. But if you're having trouble getting good looks, like I think it's fair to say that the Cavs are, and LeBron James is very tired in the second half, why not run some set action for Kyle Korver? I, that's what I'm thinking as I'm watching those games. Um, I, I know it's it's a challenge. He's a very good set shooter and all those things. I'm not saying that within the flow of the offense, him taking shots, or J.R. Smith, for that matter, taking shots, isn't a, isn't a bad idea. But why not set like actual action designed for him to be the shooter on plays? I, I'm just kind of baffled by it. He got up 10 threes. He hit four of them. I mean, I just think it makes the offense look a lot more smooth if he's a set kind of option there. Otherwise, uh, I, I just I don't get it. I, I, I really don't. Um, uh, all right, Justin Cooper, anything that stood out to you uh, from the weekend of NBA and NHL? I'm kind of with Danny in this, in, in that the, the seven, I mean, not necessarily this series, but the 76ers to me are the most intriguing team just because, 
if if they're not ready this year, it seems like a team that's that's definitely ready to explode and become one of the best in the NBA. And, and that being said, I just Joel Embiid is just so magnetic to me. I just want to watch him all the time. He kind of reminds me, and I I think that if he didn't have such a, a a thick accent, he would already be like considered one of the faces of the NBA at this point because he reminds me a lot of of Shaq in in his early days where he was just you know an awesome dominant player and he was funny and he has a great personality. So I, I really think that the the sky is the limit for Embiid from here on out. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think in general that people don't learn. I, look, I know if you're from Philadelphia or you watch a lot of your team locally, most people become fans in the playoffs in the NBA. Like this idea, like I, I talked about this on the show the other day. The NBA, the average NBA fan would have you believe that the NBA is this massive interest that everybody's paying uh, a lot of attention to during the course of the season. That ain't true. All right? The NBA even in the playoffs, more people are watching the WWE in Raw and SmackDown than are watching the NBA playoffs on Monday and Tuesday when these things are going head-to-head on cable. So if you are an NBA fan, that's great. This idea that the NBA, like, I feel like there's people out there in the media right now selling you the idea of, oh, the NBA is just a little bit behind the NFL. It's, nothing could be further from the truth. The NFL dominates the NBA, and it's not even remotely close. The NBA desperately needs to find somebody and someone and some team to fill the gap after LeBron. Because I think what we're seeing in this series against the Pacers is LeBron is starting to look like a human as opposed to looking like a superhero. He looks tired in the second half. He's having to gut it out with every single minute of action. And like this idea that LeBron is in any way a contender for the title this year is laughably absurd. The Cavs have no chance of winning the title this year. You look at how they're playing, uh, regardless of what happens against the Pacers, regardless of what happens in next year, uh, next round against either the Warriors, uh, sorry, either the Wizards or the uh, or the Raptors like this is not a Cavs team that you look at and think man they have a lot of potential this is a bad basketball team I mean you think about the guys that were that are left from the last time the Cavs won the title think about this for a minute now you've got LeBron obviously who's still the best player in the world but is showing some some tendencies of human (laughs) you know he's not showing his superhero tendencies anymore he's becoming human you've got uh, Tristan Thompson, who is absolutely valueless right now. I mean, he's uh, to me the vanishing act of Tristan Thompson is a greatly underdiscussed aspect of this story. I mean, what is he making? Seventeen million dollars a year, and he can't play because he got caught on Instagram like making out with another girl. I I don't get what's happened to Tristan Thompson. This is one of the craziest disappearing acts I, we've seen in a long time. You've got Kevin Love, who is just okay. I mean, the one benefit, I think, of, of Kevin Love's career is that nobody is pointing to him right now saying he's the reason. And then you've got J.R. Smith. And J.R. Smith is a complete enigma on the court. You have no idea what you're going to get from him one moment or the next. Those are the champions left from the Cavs. I mean, they basically dwindled down to LeBron. Maybe sometimes Kevin Love is okay and nothing. And so, to me, the question that's out there that I think is worthy of discussion is, What's going to happen to the NBA when LeBron James is not out there? The other thing I would say is, 
NBA's got some serious issues with the way that they do the playoffs. I don't know why they just don't go 1-16. to I think that would help a lot because if there was this idea that we were building towards the two best teams meeting in the NBA Finals, and I think the two best teams in the NBA this year are the Warriors and the Rockets, I think that would feel a lot better. But whoever from the East, unless it's the 76ers and they continue to get better, I don't know that there's any team from the East that's even going to be remotely as good as those two. And so I think we're headed towards the NBA Finals in the western part of western uh, part of the uh, the conference. It's probably going to be the Rockets and Warriors. It would be a big upset if it's not. And then everybody else in the East is totally unknown with the exception of LeBron. His team's just not good enough. We'll take your calls, 877-996-6369. We'll come back. Uh, I am Clay Travis. This is Outkate the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to Geico.com 15 minutes ago as well. Um, We're talking about Kyle Korver. This is a good stat from Jason Martin. Um, Basically, he's the difference in terms of who wins. And the two wins for the Cavs, he's gone four for eight from the floor in game two and four for nine in game four. In the two losses, he went 0-for-2 in Game 1 and 0-for-3 in Game 3. Don't you have to get that guy more shots? I mean, when you're taking as many poor shots as the Cavs are, just get him to toss some threes up. I mean, he should get 9-10 three-point shots in every game, in my opinion. And then the Tristan Thompson story. Tristan Thompson's making $16.4 million this year, and then he's got guaranteed 17.4 next year, and 18.5 the year after that. All the attention that Kevin Love gets on the Cavs in terms of where's he going to be, is he reliable, Tristan Thompson just going into a shell of himself is, to me, an utterly fascinating story that is not much discussed. I mean, this is evidence. You know, LeBron James basically, as a GM, said we've got to pay Tristan Thompson the money. The reason why the Cavs are hamstrung like they are to a large extent is because of a guy like Tristan Thompson, who basically, who would trade for him at this point? And he's still owed, if my math is right, roughly $36 million, $37 million over the next two years. I mean, that's one of the worst contracts in the history of the NBA based on how he's playing right now. Guy played seven minutes in a must-win game against uh, the Indiana Pacers on the road, and the Cavs couldn't rebound. I mean, you go look at at the second half of that game, the Pacers got an awful lot of easy baskets just because there was nobody there to rebound for the Cavs. I mean, LeBron and Kevin Love are having to do the rebounding job. Otherwise, there's, there's nobody there. The offensive rebounding situation was an absolute mess for the Cavs in the second half against the Pacers since Tristan Thompson wasn't there to be able to actually do anything on the glass. It's a weird story. Suddenly, he gets caught. Khloe Kardashian has a baby, and this guy just vanishes in terms of being an overall impact in the game. He's played nine minutes in the series, 0 for 1 from the field, and he has two rebounds. Think about that. For $16.4 million. about the other guys who are making $16 million in the NBA this year? Nine minutes in this series, and seven of them were last night. 0 for 1 from the field, two rebounds. Nobody's hardly talking about him. 
This is a crazy story, isn't it, for Tristan Thompson to just disappear? Jason Martin, I mean, like, for him to just disappear and for nobody, like, nine minutes in the entire series? It's inexcusable. I mean, it's utterly ridiculous. Like, I can't believe it hasn't been talked about a lot more as well. I mean, I know it's been talked about in the tabloids and stuff, but it's not being talked about much except a joke here and there in the middle of a highlight package. But this is a dude that you're paying money to win you games right now. You don't need Tristan Thompson in December. You need Tristan Thompson filling up your stat sheet and pulling down rebounds and giving guys like Corver extra shots on the outside after picking up things off the offensive glass or being physical down low and making it hard for guys like Oladipo to crush towards the rack, and he's not there for you. So what exactly are you paying him to do right now? I don't care what he's got going on in his personal life. A lot of people have things that go on within their personal life. They still have to actually show up and punch a clock. Tristan Thompson not able to do that right now. It's kind of damning. I would never want that guy to play for me. I just I can't believe it's not a bigger story. When you think about all the uh, drama surrounding Kevin Love, remember Kevin Love was the reason why the Cavs couldn't win. Everything about was about Kevin Love. I don't think we get as much of that now because I think the supporting cast is so much weaker. And and certainly Kyrie Irving and LeBron James were more consistent at times than Kevin Love was in the big three. He was the weakest of the big three. Now there's just LeBron. I mean, I don't even know who the big two is. But Kevin Love to make $16 million and just vanish and play nine minutes in this series and have almost no one out there talking about Tristan Thompson at all other than, like you said, the tabloids and the Kardashian elements of his relationship this is one where I think if you're paying somebody $16 million, I, I, it's, it's an excellent question. This is almost like a research project. Has there ever been anybody in the NBA making more than Tristan Thompson is doing less in the playoffs? Who's healthy? He's at least physically capable of coming into the games and playing. I'm not Boy, talking about guys who get injured. $16 million. I, I don't know that it's ever happened before. Again, there are guys coming off injuries. There are guys who are just, you know, not able to play because of physical ailments, and they have not ended up being the player. Or, you know, you go back in the day, like Derrick Rose gets injured and he becomes a shell of the former player that he was. But I'm not talking, like, there's no physical injury connected to Tristan Thompson. To have him as bad as he is is really kind of earth-shattering. And to have him still owed $37 million, I mean, I don't understand how it's not a bigger story than it is. Get your personal life in order. Nobody cares. Show up and do your job. Lots of people out there driving to work this morning got issues in their personal life. They're not getting to do what Tristan Thompson's doing. We're going to continue to roll next. I'll kick the coverage. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance, visit geico.com for a free rate quote. Got a question for you guys that I want your opinions on. Um, and in general, I watched a lot of the NBA uh, and the NHL playoffs uh, last night and uh, and over the weekend, as I'm sure many of you did. Had an awesome time. I was in New York City, um, went and saw a, uh, a couple of Broadway plays, hung out with my wife, getting ready for what I knew was going to be a big week this week to get away right in advance of the NBA, uh, sorry, the NFL uh, draft, which we'll get to a little bit this hour as well. But in particular... The uh, the NBA and the NHL playoffs are going on, and when you look at the uh, at the setups, when you look at the setups for the playoffs, I always think, okay, how can you make this better? How can you make the NBA playoffs more entertaining, and how can you make the NHL playoffs more entertaining? 
And in particular, I've got this question. Why are there divisions in the NBA and in the NHL? Why do you need, like, okay, let me take a step back and explain. Like, it makes sense to me perfectly that there are divisions in the NFL. Because if you win your division, you get to host a playoff game. There are only six divisions. You get six division winners, and then you get whatever the math is there, or eight divisions, whatever. The, there are 12 teams that make the playoffs in the in the NFL, right? And uh, and four teams get buys in each side. And I think the NFC and the AFC are relatively even. Like it, By and large, I think it's hard to say, oh, the NFC is so much better than the AFC this year. I think it kind of makes sense. Other than that, why do we have divisions at all in the NBA and the NHL? Why would you not just rank the teams 1 to 30 in both of these leagues and then go ahead and seed 1 to 16 when you have 16 teams making the playoffs? You play an entire 82 game season in both halves. Uh, both uh, both of these uh, leagues in order to get to eliminate 14 teams, right? I mean, that's pretty crazy. So it's over half of the leagues make the playoffs. The playoffs are not that hard in the grand scheme of things to make. Why would you not seed it 1-16 to and guarantee yourself, at least based on the bracket that you were outlining, that you would be setting it up so that the two best teams in the regular season would meet in the finals. And the reason why I bring that up is, obviously in the NBA, we have had for years now a much weaker Eastern Conference going up against the Western Conference. And right now, if you look at the NHL, we've got, I believe, two of the best teams in the regular season that are slated now to play in the second round between the Nashville Predators and the uh, Winnipeg Jets. And so I'm also asking the question, like, again, most people are not going to ask this question because they don't sit around and think about it very much. But in the the two best teams in terms of points that were produced all season long are the Nashville Predators and the Winnipeg Jets in the NHL. And they are now going to play in the second round of the NHL postseason. What sense does that make? Shouldn't you be setting it up so that this would be a matchup that would take place in the finals? Now, I understand old school-wise that geography made a big difference. Oh, it's a big deal if you're a Western team or you're an Eastern team in terms of the difficulty of travel and whatnot. But am I blowing anybody else's mind by just saying, why can't we just rank teams 1-30? to I, I don't understand this. And then you take the top 16 teams, regardless of what conference they're from, one place 16, two place 15, three place 14, four, 12, uh, four 13, you know, whatever the math is there, five twelve. Why would you not do that? And then that way, if there's an upset, that's fine, but you are setting it up so that your best possible matchup is taking place in the NBA Finals or in the Stanley Cup Finals. And the NHL is even more crazy because you've got the two teams who finished with the most points in the entirety of the NHL playing now in the second round. There's still eight teams left 
and the two teams who had the best regular seasons are going to play in what will likely be a great second-round matchup. But doesn't that defeat the entire purpose of the regular season? And if you agree with me that the East remains substantially weaker, why would you effectively allow the Western Conference Finals, which I think will be the Warriors going up against the Rockets, to happen and and decide this NBA championship before we get to the NBA Finals? It doesn't make sense to me. I'm, I don't even understand why we need divisions at all. Just play around Robin. Now you can say, okay, the teams that are on the East Coast, we don't want to have to make them play the teams on the West Coast as frequently. Okay, it's not that big of a deal. We don't need everybody's schedule to be exactly even. You can still have the same kind of schedule. But in general... I don't understand why you wouldn't just go ahead and set it up that way. And then that that would lead to the playoffs where you're ensuring that for the biggest possible audience, which is there's a ton of people, whether it makes sense or not, I've never thought it made that much sense. If you like a sport, the idea that tons of people would show up to watch the finals of the sport that didn't watch any of the prelude to the finals is always crazy to me. Happens every year. 50 million people will watch the NFC and the AFC title games, roughly. Sometimes 40 million, whatever. And then 70 million more people roll in and watch the Super Bowl. Everybody who's listening to me right now, you guys are watching the NFC and the AFC title games. But there's all these people who don't really care about sports that much that suddenly show up for the Super Bowl. It's not just there. It's a lesser extent in terms of the numbers, But the NBA Finals drastically outperform audience-wise the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference. Now, partly that's because they put the NBA Finals on ABC as opposed to TNT and ESPN for the Eastern and the Western Conference Finals. But there are a lot more people who come in to watch that product, the NBA Finals, than watch anything else. Same thing happens in the Stanley Cup. More people come in and watch teams playing for a championship than watched during the regular season of the playoffs. So why not structure this if you are Adam Silver or you're Gary Bettman? This is not revolutionary. But to me, it's something that you need to break with tradition and just set it up so that your product is as good as it can possibly be and you don't end up with the two best teams in your league playing in the second round like is going to happen in the NHL and you don't end up with totally uneven conferences so that the Western Conference Finals is likely to be the default NBA title series. Are you guys with me? I'm I'm actually curious for you guys out there as well. You can tweet me and let me know if you agree. I'm at Clay Travis on Twitter. But for the crew in here, I'm going to go to LA first and I'll come to Jason Martin. But for LA, is does this make sense? Yeah, it makes sense, except there is a, a block, a roadblock to to your plan. Um, because I, I remember reading an article about this last year. Adam Silver has already come out and said that the two-conference format isn't necessary in today's NBA. But the problem, Clay, is that two-thirds voting majority is required from the owners to make any sort of pl- uh, format 
playoff adjustment in in the NBA. Well, and, then, and this is unfortunate because then the Eastern Conference yeah, teams are going to be like, oh, we have an advantage. Never gonna our, yeah, they have no incentive at all to make their jobs harder. But to me, that's a sign of where the overall quality of the league is more important than your small competitive advantage in the meantime. And so I just – I look at this and say, what is the purpose at all of having any kind of – like, why not just rank the teams 1 to 30 throughout the year? And you know the top 16 teams are going to make the playoffs. And I, I just I, – I think this is a no-brainer. And it, it, it's to me, is a, is a flaw in the NBA. And I think it's also a flaw in the NHL. I mean, I, I don't – I just – I don't understand the purpose of conferences or divisions. And a lot of you out there right now are probably like, yeah, why do, why do we need, you know, it, it makes sense in, let's say, college sports where there's a big difference between the SEC and the ACC and the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and the Big 12 and all those major conferences. Okay, well, that's the way that you play your schedules. That makes sense. But it makes zero sense to me in the professional ranks by and large. Now, it makes a little bit of sense in the NFL where you're going to have, you know, eight division champs and you're going to have four wild cards and there's 12 teams that roll in. I still think in the NFL you could probably go 1 to 32, but I think for scheduling purposes cuz you play so many fewer games that having division champs can make some sense. But when you're playing 82 regular season games, I just don't think it makes sense at all in the NHL or the NBA. So Yes, maybe there's a there's an obstacle because the Eastern Conference teams know that it's so much easier to make the finals from their side of the bracket than it is from the Western Conference. But that, to me, is 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 a major indictment when you have competitive advantage dictating whether or not you should make a change for the benefit of the sport overall. Jason Martin, I mean, like, are you with me here too? That when you really look at it, like, is there any reason? I mean, I would love to hear a rational reason, not that we get a competitive advantage from it, but somebody out there make it. The only thing I can think of is from a scheduling perspective that you don't want the teams to have to go back and forth from a television perspective, in other words, that you don't want the teams to have to play and travel as much from the Eastern Conference to the Western Conference, meaning the far East Coast to the far West Coast. But I don't know why you would have to change the schedule that much overall. The Western Conference teams could still play more frequently against each other. And there could be an argument of, oh, well, it's biased. You know, the Western Conference teams are better, so they're going to have more losses. I can see that argument, I guess, a little bit. But I think that bias would balance out by having the top teams all kind of skewed and set to play. Moreover, it would also make down the stretch more uh, more enjoyable, I think, for the average fan because the difference in seeding would be so substantial. And you would not have teams just decide, you know what, we're going to sit out uh, in the same way. By the way, somebody I, on labor here, the heavy breathing going on, <laughs> is somebody is somebody moving, uh, is somebody moving like uh, working as a longshoreman part-time here on the show as well? Uh, is this the perfect uh, solution? I mean, I, I don't understand why you wouldn't just go ahead and do it. Well, the travel is the one thing that gets cited. I don't buy into the tradition argument. Uh, right now, teams play 52 intra-conference games and 30 inter-conference games. One of the objections to this has always been that to logically implement this, they'd have to try and balance the regular season schedule. So that would mean awkward start times. That would mean West Coast fans would have to rush home for 4 p.m. Uh, no, no, tips I'm saying, I'm on saying, East, I, Eastern I Conference road this, trips. I wouldn't change the schedule at all. 
I, I don't think it matters that much if you play. I don't think your average NBA fan would even notice if teams that are on the West Coast continue to play teams that are on the West Coast more frequently because they're so used to it. And so I don't buy into the idea that the schedule has to be completely balanced. I, I, I don't think it would be that big of a deal because what I'm focused on primarily is not how do you seed like 12 to 16. It's that if you are one of the three or four best teams, you're setting up the bracket so that you are setting up to play. Like the NBA should want, whether or not it happens is is a different thing, but the NBA should want the four best teams in the entirety of the NBA to reach the final four, right? Same thing should happen for the NHL. That's what they should want. Doesn't mean necessarily it's going to happen, but if you are playing in a playoff format that doesn't guarantee or make it more likely that the four best teams survive and then the two best teams survive to compete for a championship, then it's a flawed dynamic. And I think it wasn't as noticeable time after time years ago because it just happened that the Eastern and the Western conferences were fairly balanced. But I I don't see it changing any time in the near future. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the Sixers are going to rise up and be unbelievable. Maybe the Raptors. Like I don't buy into the it's cyclical argument. I think that the teams that are in the West, by and large, are more desirable franchises to play for than the teams that are in the East. And so I think this is a, this is like that. I don't think that the way the schedule is set up would even need to change that much. And I see that as being the biggest challenge is just TV playing, making sure that people on the West Coast get to watch their team play. What's the other? Is there any other argument against it? I mean, that's generally the main argument is that. If you had to change, because you would see everybody want to see a balanced schedule inside the league. You're saying that the West is more desirable. It is. And the East was more desirable in the 90s and with the Pistons and the Bulls and everything that happened there. So it has been cyclical to some extent. But in general, it's just mainly the idea that if you're all in one classification, then you'd all need to play a very, very similar schedule. And the Eastern teams would then potentially, I guess, still have an advantage because they were playing lesser competition yeah but, West, it would, but they it would, would still be based on the same the same schedule the same rankings and the same records yeah but i i think it would out itself because if you immediately if the western conference is truly better than the eastern conference then why not i mean the 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 other possibility is you could just seed them so that that you played against teams from the opposite side in the in the playoffs so that the one from the East played the eight from the West. You know what I'm saying? Instead of playing only in your division, you could cross it, and then you could at least end up with you know the one from the West would play the eight from the East or whatever. Then that gets more challenging maybe with travel uh, because you have more East and West Coast travel. But to me, I, I don't think – I think it would out itself. I mean, I, I think that the, the best teams would advance, and I think going one to 16 would make a lot more sense. All right, I got a ridiculous story that I'm going to hit everybody with when we come back. Um, you're not going to believe this. It's Animal Thunderdome. We have, I, well, I'm just going to say it. It's the most unbelievable story I have seen, the most improbable, the most unlikely. We have found maybe the, uh, what's, what's the opposite of Mr. Glass from uh, from the old movie with uh, oh, I know, Night. I know the story. I got uh, the story, too. M. Night it's amazing. Shyamalan. Uh, whatever you pronounce Unbreakable was the name of the film. Unbreakable. We have the Bruce Willis character. I think we have found him. You're going you're gonna to hear this story, and you're not going to believe it's real, but I promise it is. Uh, it's up next, the uh, unbelievable Monday edition inspiration, Animal Thunderdome. Trust me, if you're on your way to work, just call your boss, text him, be like, I'm going to be late. 
Text your boss. Say, hey, I can't come in. I got to hear this story. It's going to make the week. I guarantee you it will. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car. Visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. All right, quickly, uh, I went in and I looked. I said, okay, what if you just did your ranking the best teams regardless of what conference they're in? I didn't do the entirety of the NHL. But your seedings would have looked like this. You would have had the Nashville Predators, number one overall. The Winnipeg Jets, number two overall. Now, they're playing this round. The two best teams in the NHL, from a points perspective, are playing in this round now. So the Winnipeg would go from fourth in the West, effectively, to second overall in the entire NHL. Tampa Bay would be third. Boston would be fourth. Vegas would be fifth. Toronto 6th, Anaheim 7th, and Pitt uh, and San Jose, you would have had to break the tie to see which of those two teams uh, was going to be the 8th seed. All right? Uh, Now, things could be a little bit different in the NBA because if you were playing down the stretch, maybe teams would try to finish higher. But right now, here's what the NBA would look like, the entirety of the NBA. Now, I'm not sure exactly on seeds because I'm not sure how you'd break all the ties, but just as I run through this, follow me. Houston would be number one overall, no surprise. Uh, Toronto would be number two overall, but they would be set up to play, in theory, in the final four of the NBA, the Golden State Warriors. Uh, The Boston Celtics would be in the four spot. Philly would be in the five. Cleveland would be in the six. Portland in the seven. And then you have like a four-way tie for eight, so you'd have to work this out, but... Uh, you'd have Oklahoma City, you would have uh, New Orleans, you would have uh, the, and I'm trying to read my writing, which is always a little bit of a challenge. Uh, you you would have, anyway, a bunch of different teams that are all contending there. Oklahoma City, Utah, uh, New, or, uh, New Orleans, and uh, let's see, who would the other team be there? I'm trying to read my uh, my writing, and I have no idea. Indiana. All right, Indiana would be there. Then you would have in the 12 spot, San Antonio, in the 13 spot, Minnesota, 14 spot Denver, 15 spot Miami, and the 16 spot Milwaukee. So uh, you would not have the Washington Wizards in the playoffs at all, and Denver would get into the playoffs. If you are listening in Denver, you're like, yeah, we should have been in the playoffs. Well, if you took the 16 best teams, you would be in, and so the 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 West would end up getting nine teams, and the East would end up getting seven. That's the way it would shake out if we just took the top 16 teams. So uh, to me, that seems like uh, it would be a little bit more fair of a system, and I think it would make an awfully lot more sense. And I don't hear a lot of people talking about this, but that would be, uh, that would be I think, a, a good solution. And there's people out there like, oh, you have to travel too much. I'm not the, – the travel thing, you need to suck it up, all right? I traveled across country all the time southwest in, uh, in regular – seats like every Thursday or Friday I would travel cross country and continue to do all the jobs that I do there are people out there listening to us right now driving into the airport the teams have chartered freaking jets it ain't that big of a deal and at least in the way that it would work out here you wouldn't have that many cross country trips I'm looking at it right now you would have Houston against Milwaukee you would have Toronto against Miami you would have the Golden State Warriors against the Denver Nuggets. 
You would have Boston against uh, San Antonio. You would have Philly playing, and then that's where you get into like kind of the mix. You're not sure exactly what that would look like because you don't know what the overall uh, what the ties would be. But uh, but there wouldn't be at least. I mean, it's obviously a uh, a totally random breakdown here. But there wouldn't be that many cross country trips. And frankly, I just don't feel that bad for players that have to take cross country trips when you got multiple days. Maybe you give an extra day. Uh, for the cross-country trip for guys to uh, to adjust if you have to play a cross-country trip. It's not that challenging to adjust the schedule. And again, we're not talking about guys sitting in the middle seat on a cross-country Southwest flight, which many of you do on a regular basis. We're talking about guys on private luxury charter jets that have entire rows to themselves. It's not that difficult of a uh, of a lifestyle. All right, I'm going to give you the most amazing animal Thunderdome ever here momentarily. But first, let me go ahead and bring in Eddie Garcia, find out what's shaking in the world of sports. Well, Clay, let's give you a recap of Sunday's playoff action. We start in the NBA where the Cavaliers beat the Pacers on the road 104-100. to LeBron James, 32 points for Cleveland as they even that series at 2-2. Spurs avoid elimination with a 103-90 win over the Warriors. Marcus Aldridge, 22 points, 10 rebounds. Golden State still has the 3-1 series edge. Wizards over the Raptors, 106-98. Bradley Beal, 31 points. John Wall, 27 points, 14 assists. That series is tied at 2. Bucks over the Celtics, 104-102. That series is tied at 2. NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. Penguins outscore the Flyers, 8-5. Pittsburgh wins the series, 4 games to 2. Predators shut out the Avalanche, 5-0. Nashville wins that series, Four games to two, and it is now time for our Geico play of the day. Maker at the high post. Hand back to Brogdon. Dribble penetration to the rim. The floater is no good. Tipped up and in. Giannis tips it. 104, 102. Bucks lead. Five seconds to go in the game. Bucks Radio Network on the call. That was the game-winning tip-in for Giannis Antetokounmpo. Again, Bucks over the Celtics, 104 to 102. That's our Geico play of the day. Good stuff. We're coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. All right, cue the music, boys. This is an unbelievable story. I couldn't, I, I legitimately, when I saw this, a ton of you sent it to me. I couldn't believe it was real. Ladies and gentlemen. I'm just glad I was there. Boys and girls. I thought he thought I was like this ginormous piece of chicken. Dying times here. I had a bullet constrictor stuck to my face. And you have a what? This is Animal Thunderdome. I legitimately question whether this has ever happened before in the history of our country. A Colorado man named Dylan McWilliams. He's 20 years old. This weekend, this past weekend, he was, or Thursday, he was swimming in Hawaii when he was bitten by a shark. Uh, And this was a pretty un, uh, un, you know, like fortunate event for Dylan McWilliams. He was about 50 yards off the beach in Hawaii, got deep cuts to one of his legs. Uh, He's going to have to get a bunch of stitches. That by itself, if you heard a guy had gotten attacked by a shark, you'd be like, man, That's pretty unlucky to get attacked by a shark. The vast majority of us will never even see a shark in the water, much less get attacked by one. So that's a tough break for Dylan McWilliams, particularly given the fact that he's only 20 years old. But that's not his story. 
His story is even more remarkable. Last July, last year, he got nine staples in his scalp after a 300-pound bear invaded his Colorado campsite. Quote, The bear grabbed the back of my head and started pulling me, and I was fighting back as best as I could. It dropped me and stomped on me a little bit, and I was able to get back to the group, and they scared it away. This was last year. So this guy has been attacked by a shark. He's been attacked by a bear. That's not all. Three and a half years ago, he was out for a hike in Utah, and he stepped on a rattlesnake and was bitten by a rattlesnake. So in the last three and a half years, this guy, this Dylan McWilliams, who we need to track down and get on the show, I mean, absolutely, I don't know if you guys can help me find him. I don't know if somebody listening right now knows him. This 20-year-old kid in the last three and a half years has been attacked by a shark, a bear, and a rattlesnake. What are the odds of that happening? I think it's potentially likely that this is the first time maybe in the history of the world that somebody has been attacked by all three of these animals. Certainly, by be a guy as young as this. This is, to me, like Final Destination meets the Animal Thunderdome. The animals are trying to kill this guy. Can I mean, I couldn't believe this story when I saw it, and I saw it was real. I mean, think about it. If you get bitten by a rattlesnake, that's a pretty unbelievable story to share with people. Hey, you know, I got bit by a rattlesnake. If you get attacked by a bear, that's a pretty unbelievable story. No one, if you tell that story, is going to be like, yeah, really? Oh, wow, that's not, nobody's topping that story. And certainly if you get attacked by a shark, as soon as you hear about it, you want to hear all the details. This guy in three and a half years, can you guys believe this story? Not really. I mean, I'm not saying that's not true. I'm just saying it is so ridiculous. When I when I was sent it and I first read it, I was just like, where are the witnesses? Where's all this stuff? Because McWilliams is telling the paper that these things happened. I just I kept looking, I was like, I need more evidence than this because it's so ridiculous. And he even he was quoted as saying he's either the luckiest or unluckiest guy ever. I don't understand. First of all, how could you quote yourself as believing that you're the luckiest? Like Well, because I you're alive. Oh, I guess. The whole idea but, is because you're alive after all of that kind of thing happened to you, you're still actually alive to yeah, talk about it. Yeah, that's not lucky, though. That's the optimistic way to look at yeah, it. That's but not no, an optimistic you're unlucky way to, to have three animals attack you. Uh, if, three if a rattlesnake, like a bear, and a shark attack you, you are not lucky. I'll go ahead and eliminate that. <laughs> you are not lucky. You might be fortunate to be alive, but the fact that you've been attacked eliminates any idea that you might be lucky. Yeah, this is like something from a movie script. It made me think of the Matthew McConaughey film, A Failure to Launch. His character in that movie, all through the movie, kept getting attacked by different animals. Yeah, I, I, I just, I, I don't even understand. I mean, is it possible that this is the only man in the history of the world to be attacked by all three of this? I mean, I can't imagine that this happens very often, right? I mean, the the, the sheer improbability of this, in a, even just in America, where we have 320 million people, I, I, I just feel like maybe the bear and the rattlesnake, there might be some people, if you spend enough time outside, I can maybe buy into the fact that there are some people who've been attacked, like bitten by a rattlesnake and attacked by a bear. But to toss in the shark, too, I think makes it almost impossible to believe. Right? I mean, if you if you were ranking this, I'm sure that I, I would bet. I shouldn't say I'm sure because it's still unlikely. 
But I would bet there's somebody else out there that has been attacked by a bear and has been bitten by a rattlesnake. I don't know that there's anybody else in America who has been bitten by a shark, a bear, and a rattlesnake. Uh, no, I, I don't either. I mean, I I don't see how it's how it's possible. I've kept looking, and now I found like a photo of after the bear attack and the shark attack. I haven't seen anything from the rattlesnake, but apparently it was a dry bite. Just the just the idea that this guy's twenty and this happened too. Like, it's not that this guy was seventy and it was ten years apart. I mean, there are people that get struck by lightning and and things like that can crazily happen. But dude's been on the earth for twenty years. This happened in a four-year span. Two of them within a year. That's yeah, and incredible. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you be a little bit gun shy if you got attacked by a bear? I just would. I would not be that excited to go swim in the ocean. Yeah, me either. I mean, to, it, yeah. say, to say nothing of you know the danger in general of being in the ocean. Like everybody kind of thinks and is apprehensive. I think in general about the idea that you might get attacked by a shark. But if you'd already been attacked by a bear. Are you really putting yourself in that position to decide, you know what, I want to swim 50 yards off the shore in Hawaii? Is it that important to you? I I just, I I saw this story and my mind was legitimately blown. And it's rare that that I see this, and thanks to everybody who sent this in. But, I mean, this is one of the most amazing stories we've ever had in the history of the Animal Fund. Maybe the most amazing. Again, I want you guys' help to help me track down Dylan McWilliams and get this uh, get this guy on because I'd like to hear the story of how he has managed to get attacked this many different times. Uh, all right, final uh, segment of uh, hour two coming up next. Um, by the way, is there anything else out there in the animal? We, I don't even think we can do anything else other than that guy. That guy just take, he gets he gets the solo Monday edition. We don't even yeah. usually do the Animal Thunderdome on Monday. That guy gets the solo edition. Uh, for his uh, accomplishments there. Uh, We come back. We'll start to talk a little bit about the NFL draft. We haven't talked about it yet. Which quarterback is going to be kind of the fulcrum of this draft? And in particular, I think it's tying into why I believe the New York Giants kind of control almost completely how this draft will go. I'll tell you why next. Uh, This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. NFL draft week which will come in and Bigfoot all over the NBA and the NHL actual playoffs. For everybody out there who believes the NBA is going to catch the NFL, the NFL is going to dunk all over the NBA. There's these delusional people out there that are like, every now and then they tweet me like, the NBA is going to be bigger than the NFL. NBA, look at the NBA ratings. You're getting dunked on by the WWE. The NBA can be entertaining but your playoffs are getting beat by Raw and SmackDown on cable. Your actual playoffs. Your league is nowhere near the NFL. And if you had any doubt, Thursday and Friday, the highest rated show on television will be the NFL draft. The actual selection of players in the NFL will be higher rated by far than the actual NBA playoffs and the NHL playoffs. Legitimate games to decide a champion will be destroyed by the ratings for the first, second, and the third round of the NFL draft. So tomorrow, we are scheduled to talk with Saquon Barkley, who is still making the argument that he should be the overall number one draft pick in uh, this year's NFL draft. Seems unlikely that that's going to happen. And in particular, over the weekend, I saw something that we talked about months ago. 
circling up, which was that the Browns should take two quarterbacks, one at number one overall and the other at number four overall, which I actually think makes some sense. I actually think it makes a decent amount of sense. If you're the Browns and you always swing and miss, why not get two cuts at it? But so that that at least is out there. I think it's unlikely because the Browns, I think, will be afraid of the criticism they will get from making an unconventional decision, which is ironic because the Browns get ripped no matter what they do. So why not go out there and decide that you're going to find the quarterback of your future by taking the two best guys in your mind, at least if they're both there at one and four. But that still is not the most entertaining part of this draft to me. Uh, the most entertaining part, I would be stunned if the Browns don't draft number one overall, a quarterback. And if you look at the offshore odds, right now Sam Darnold is a substantial favorite to be the number one overall quarterback taken. The only other guy that's in the mix to be taken is Josh Allen. And so both of those guys, it appears that the Browns' decision is down to those two. Now maybe the Browns could take Sam Darnold at one and Josh Allen at four. And that would be pretty wild. We'd never have seen it done before. But my argument for why that would make sense was predicated on college. In college football, you always bring in as many good quarterbacks as you can, oftentimes in the same recruiting class if you can, because you don't know who's actually going to be good. I mean, look at what Alabama is going through right now. They already had Jalen Hurts. And Jalen Hurts was a phenomenal freshman quarterback. And they still went out and signed Tua Tagovailoa. And Tua's younger brother has now committed to Alabama too. I used as an example Georgia. If you go look at what Georgia has done at the quarterback position, it's a perfect example of what I think a college team should do. Of a, Sorry, what I think a pro team should do. They signed Jacob Eason. Jacob Eason was the number one quarterback in his class. A guy that probably still has first-round talent and is now transferring out to Washington because despite the fact that he started as a true freshman and looked like he was going to be phenomenal, the Georgia Bulldogs went and signed Jake Fromm. And Fromm came in and won the job from Jacob Eason. And then Georgia went and signed the number one five-star quarterback in the nation, this kid Justin Fields. So in three straight years, they have signed one of the top quarterbacks in the country. And that's not uncommon in college football because you don't know how a guy's going to translate from the NFL to college. And it's commonplace that in college football, you have to go out and earn your starting job. Everybody competes at every position. And as a result, you end up with, in theory, a really well-accomplished and competitive and a quarterback who has won the job. And I never hear anybody talk about in college football, oh, you can't have three quarterbacks on this roster right now. Why not? Well, you're not going to get them enough reps. Well, we figure out who's the best by letting them all go head-to-head and literally look at them, and then we decide to play that guy. And if that guy doesn't play well, then we put the other guy in. I think that actually makes a lot of sense in the NFL, too. In the NFL, remember when... The Redskins went out and drafted RG3, two overall, and then they signed Kirk Cousins in the fourth round. Everybody lost their mind. But it actually ended up working out pretty well for the Redskins. RG3 turns into a bust, but Kirk Cousins turns into an incredible quarterback. Now, they ended up losing him, and they didn't win a lot with him, 
but taking two quarterbacks was the college system there. They took a guy in RG3 that they thought was going to be really good, and they took another guy in Kirk Cousins that they liked, and ultimately Kirk Cousins ended up being the much better quarterback. So why would you not be willing to do something like this in the NFL? In the NFL, they treat quarterbacks like delicate flowers. Oh, you can't take more than one quarterback in the same draft. Oh, if you drafted a quarterback highly, you got to wait a couple of years before you can draft another quarterback. That's never made sense to me. In college, even if you have a good quarterback, you go and try to sign another incredible quarterback. And then you put them all together, and the best guy wins, and the guy who loses still might be really good. Jacob Eason might end up being a top 20 quarterback in the NFL when it comes to the NFL draft in a couple of years. But it just might be that Jake Fromm is a top 10 quarterback. And so they ended up going to different schools, but Georgia got the opportunity to see who was better. And if Justin Fields, this five-star do-everything quarterback, comes in and he's better, then you'll replace him. Look at what happened with Alabama. I think Jalen Hurts is going to transfer. Why is he going to transfer? Because Tua Tagovailoa is better. If this were the NFL, nobody would have ever brought in Tua. They would have said, we've already got Jalen Hurts. We've already got our quarterback of the future here. Why would we go bring in somebody else? I bring up all that because I think the Browns' decision at one and with the fourth pick is utterly fascinating. But I think the linchpin of this draft is actually going to be the Giants. You feel like 100% the Jets are going to take a quarterback. It's why they drafted up. uh, Why they traded up into the draft. You feel like Cleveland's definitely taking a quarterback. If the Giants take a quarterback too, then it sets off a real rush at the top of the draft board because I think it's then likely that we have quarterbacks go one, two, and three. It's possible the Giants could trade out of that pick. The Bills might want to move up. But I don't know exactly what's going to happen here except that I think there's a good chance there's going to be five quarterbacks gone early. Really early. And to me, that Giants pick is the one that's going to decide, man, how quickly is this going to end up shaking down? And I'm more excited, to be honest with you, I'm more excited for the first round of the NFL draft than I am any playoff game that's going to take place this week in the NBA or the NHL. I am. I just I can't wait to see what's going to happen, all the buildup, all the excitement. We'll talk with Saquon Barkley tomorrow. We'll see whether or not he thinks the Browns are still considering him at one. He's going to be on live with us in hour two. Lots to get into on the draft this week. I'll reset all the big stories with you. We'll dive into the way that that Cavs and Pacers game ended And uh, we will also uh, recalibrate the NBA, the NHL playoffs, and hit more of the draft with you. I am Clay Travis. Thank you for spending your Monday with us here on OutKick, the coverage. Live from the Geico OutKick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. Uh, Embarrassment of riches in the world of sports right now. The NBA and the NHL playoffs at full swing. We've got the NFL draft coming up this week as well. Thursday night, first round action will be televised on Fox as well as the NFL Network as well as ESPN. Massive interest in what's going to happen at the top of this draft. Who are the Browns going to take? The favorite right now is Sam Darnold. The craziness, the zaniness, the wildness with which The game ended last night between the Cavs and the Pacers for many of you waking up across the country. 
There is a lot going on right now. And in particular, usually, I would say that the NHL fans out there can wave the flag of the NHL playoffs and say, you know what? Our first round is superior to your first round. Anything can happen in the NHL playoffs. Upsets all of the uh, rounds uh, throughout the playoffs. Anything can and will happen. And frankly, our first round is better than the NBA's first round. That's what the NHL would argue. This year, that is not true. We've got a couple of game sixes scheduled tonight. Two series, I believe, is all that are left undecided. We've got a the best series, I would say, so far has been the Caps and the Blue Jackets. The Caps lose their first two at home and have now stormed back to win three straight. The games have gone into overtime. It feels like every single game. And game six of that series is tonight. Uh, And we will see whether or not the Caps can continue to have good fortune and close it out with four straight after losing the first two. On the other side of the equation, the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs extended this series to game six. Will the Bruins be able to go on the road and get the win over the Maple Leafs? That's it. That's it for the NHL. I believe the possibility is out there that there could be game sevens on Wednesday night if all holds to uh, to pattern, if the Maple Leafs win, and if the Blue Jackets win, then both home teams, uh, the Bruins and the Caps, would host a uh, game seven. That's it. In the NBA, the NBA is a lot more wide open right now. We just talked about last night's game between the Cavs and the Pacers where, man, if you are waking up this morning and you watch that game last night, if you are a Pacers fan, you feel like you might well have given away the series in the final three minutes of that game. I don't think there's any doubt that if you were a Pacers fan, you had your fingers crossed, you were drastically, dramatically hoping that the Pacers could continue their second-half performance, that they could win the fourth quarter, and that your team would be headed back to Cleveland up 3-1 with a very tired LeBron James in tow. Instead, Kyle Korver gets hot, drains two big threes, and in a final controversial replay review, the uh, jump ball that's called by at least one official is shot down, and uh, the... Cleveland Cavaliers are able to go the free throw line, hit one out of two free throws, and that is the end of that game. We're now tied at two. In the other series that are out there, I feel like most of you would agree with me that the Warriors are likely to beat the Spurs in game five, that that series is pretty much over. Everything else, maybe the Sixers you feel like are going to handle the heat, and obviously the Pelicans are already into the second round. But man, there's a lot of uncertainty out there right now. We've got a tie series between the Celtics and the Bucks that I think it's fair to say is any man and any uh, anybody's series. We've got the Wizards and the Raptors tied at two apiece, going back for a big game five. We have got uh, the potential, at least for the Rockets opening round series, to get a little bit interesting if they were to lose tonight in Minnesota. And Ricky Rubio, maybe one of the most entertaining first rounds by any player so far, and the Jazz are up 2-1, trying to make it 3-1 against the Thunder. This would be an ignominious end for the Thunder season, given how much excitement there was over the additions of Paul George and Carmelo Anthony. 
and all of the attention that Russell Westbrook gets if they lost in the first round to the Utah Jazz and Ricky Rubio was the most dominant player on the court. I think it would be a difficult resolution for the uh, for the Oklahoma City Thunder season. But all that is still going on. Much drama to come in the NBA. Um, and to me, I'm almost already starting to pivot to the NFL draft. Are you guys more interested? Let me bring in the crew. Are you more interested in the NFL draft or the playoffs? In the NBA or the NHL? An even more difficult question are you more interested in the NFL draft than the NBA playoffs and the NHL playoffs combined? Because I'm going to be honest with you right now. If you told me I could only watch one sporting event this week, any NBA game of my choice, any NHL game of my choice, or the first round of the NFL draft on Thursday, I'm picking the NFL draft. What about you guys? Which one would you pick, Jason Martin? Oh, I'd pick the draft, and then I'd pick game five of Cavs-Pacers after that, but the draft pretty easily after that. I mean, I do think game five of that series, it's going to determine who wins it. Indiana basically had it. This was a must-win for them last night, even though they had the series at a a 2-1 advantage because all the work that they did is now out the window. You have to win on the road anyway. They won on the road, but now it's back on serve, so they have to win on the road again. So I think that there's definitely drama there, plus LeBron James. But it's the NFL draft. I mean, come on. I think everybody's probably going to say that. I'm going to put out the poll question. I I think that kind of contextualizes where we are. For the, I feel as if... We are selling a little bit of a false narrative out there about the NBA. The NBA is ratings are up relative to five years ago. They're down. So it's not like they're at some like seismic level. And I, I feel like there's this idea because they got a two and a half billion dollar television contract. People tweet me on a regular basis who are hardcore NBA fans. They're like, oh, the NBA is is back, baby. The NBA's I don't know that the NBA is going to be in the rough kind of place that it found itself after Michael Jordan left. We've talked a lot about that on this show. What will happen when LeBron kind of shuffles off the stage? And I think we're starting to see that from LeBron. He just doesn't have that much left. He doesn't have the energy late in these games to be able to play at a supremely high level. And I think this first-round series, whether they win it or lose it, going at a minimum of six games, maybe seven as well, at 33 years old, LeBron is starting to look his age. Still the best player in basketball, but I don't think he's going to have the energy to follow through over the course of this entire playoffs. Having played 82 games, having carried this team, all the drama, all the trades, everything that has happened so far, I just don't think the Cavs are that good, but I also think that LeBron is going to break down at some point and they have no real chance, the Cavs don't, of winning a title. And I think most Cavs fans would even acknowledge that at this point. But I think that kind of contextualizes where the NFL is still relative to the NBA. That if you could pick the best game that's going to happen this week in the NBA, if you're an NBA fan, or the best game that's going to happen this week in the NHL, if you are an NHL fan, or you could pick the NFL draft round one to watch, I think the vast majority of you who are about to vote in this poll that I'm going to put out at Clay Travis, the OutKick poll, I think the vast majority of you are going to vote for watching the first round of the NFL draft. That's how popular the NFL still is, even with all the rough 
off-the-field-related NFL controversies, the vast majority of you, I think, are going to pick the first round of the NFL draft. What say you guys out in L.A.? Would you guys pick the first round of the NFL draft or your favorite NBA or NHL game? I'm pretty excited to see what happens between the Celtics and Bucks. The Sixers and Heat series is getting good. The, Of course, the Cavs, Pacers, we've been talking a lot, uh, a lot of good storylines there. But the NFL is my number one favorite sport since I was a little kid. So nothing, nothing compares to the NFL draft. So are we going to be unanimous here on first round of the, and not even the whole NFL draft? I mean, that would even be maybe a, a fairer contest. Will you watch the second and the third round of the NFL draft or four through seven on Saturday over the actual games themselves in the playoffs for the NBA and the NHL? What about you, Justin Cooper? Are you on the uh, the NFL draft train too? No, not at all. Okay, um, so you're actually, you would draft, I'm assuming, the NBA? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not like I'm excited about the NFL draft, and I definitely you know tune in. I, I make you know I see where my team's picking, and I keep an eye on it. But I'm not like you know, oh, let me stop watching this playoff game so I can turn on and watch the NFL draft. That's kind of something that I just kind of have on in the in the background and monitor on my phone. I think I'm going to give predictions on the poll. I don't want to falsely influence the poll, but I think 60 percent of people are going to take the NFL draft. I think 20% will, let's say 25% will pick the NBA and 15% will pick the NHL. Mm, I think that's, that's my low. breakdown. You think it's low in what way? I think it will be higher for the NFL higher draft than, than 60%. Oh, wow. All right, well, we'll find out. Um, let's go ahead and we'll take a break here. Uh, we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit more about the NFL draft. We'll talk a little bit more about these uh, these situations in the NBA and the NHL. I'll run back over my plan, my idea, and also poll these guys on why we even need conferences or divisions in the NBA and the NHL. Why not just seed everything 1-16? to 16? And I'll explain why I agree with that uh, that proposition and like I said, we'll break down a little bit more on the NFL draft. Saquon Barkley scheduled to join us tomorrow, hour two. Make sure you don't miss that. That I am Clay Travis. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Snoop bringing us back. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car. Visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. It's a confident show. I'm a little bit surprised by the results. You can go uh, check them out uh, at Clay Travis on Twitter. And I like to do these poll questions, kind of see what my audience is most interested in. And my question, if you could only watch your favorite NBA or NHL playoff game this week or the first round of the NFL draft, which one would you pick? Uh, 1,300 of you voting here in the first five minutes uh, that the poll has been up. Again, you can go find it, cast your own vote, at Clay Travis. NFL draft first round is winning, which is what I anticipated, but only winning with thirty-one with 43% of the vote. Hmm. With 31% of the vote, the top NHL playoff game with 26% of the vote the top NBA playoff game. So the question, if you could pick only one thing to watch, your favorite NHL, your favorite NBA, or the first round of the NFL draft, and it's pretty interesting results so far. Um, again, and what I have found over time is that the first 1,300 or so votes, 
the percentages don't change that much. Maybe they will over the course of this day, uh, but that is the poll question. Regardless, that uh, poll question reflects the fact that we are in the middle of an incredibly stacked week uh, for NFL action and NBA action and NHL action, but only in the NFL can they turn something that doesn't matter at all in theory, in terms of the immediate results on the field into a a competitor with legitimate games. So, uh, again, the NFL draft uh, season never ending. They also announced uh, the the NFL schedule, which has turned into its own kind of uh, cool storyline. I'm going to do the show, uh, I believe, from London for a week. I went ahead as soon as the schedule came out and I'm going to go overseas and see the uh, the Titans and the Chargers play a game, which should be pretty cool. The other news that could make this week an even bigger week in the world of sports is I think there's a decent chance that the Supreme Court comes down with their ruling on the case of whether or not they're going to allow individual states to permit sports gambling. Uh, if you remember, if you listen to this show regularly, I went up to uh, Washington, D.C. and watched that Supreme Court oral argument in person my expectation, I told you the next day, is that the Supreme Court was going to side with New Jersey by a vote of around 6-3. to three. And there is a lot of expectation out there that that ruling could come down tomorrow morning. And if that happens, everything kind of changes in the world of sports overnight because we're not still set in what I would call kind of the dark ages where you have to get on an airplane and fly out to the state of Nevada legally to pretty much bet on any sport. Now, I know a lot of you do it on your phones with offshore accounts and everything else. But technically, that's not permitted under existing American law. And I think that will change everything once every state starts to roll out the ability to wager on gambling. I was watching. uh, It was funny. I was out for brunch with my wife. And in the background behind her, was watching an EPL game. And uh, when they came out to do the interview with the EPL coach, you know how they have like the banners that they set up with all the different sponsors behind him? 60 to 70%, when I'm looking at the picture that I took right now, of all of the ads that were behind the coach had to do with gambling. And so I think the amount of money that will roll in and the way that sports are covered will change fundamentally. So that's another aspect of this story that could happen this week as if it's not a busy enough week in the world of sports. I think there's a pretty good chance that we get a Supreme Court ruling which fundamentally alters the way that sports are covered and the way that you guys out there, as well as uh, many people in the media and beyond, cover this story. Um, Approaching 3,000 votes, NFL draft number one overall, NHL playoff game number two overall, NBA playoff game number three overall in terms of the votes right now from the OutKick crew about what you would choose to watch if you could only pick one of them. I want to circle back around. I'm sure we're going to talk about this a little bit as well this week. But to me, the decision that the Browns have and the possibility that they could take two quarterbacks, I just just think it's a good decision. I think, Danny G., you were the first person to actually bring up this idea, and now it's kind of turned into a big discussion, and people are saying, well... If they draft two quarterbacks, they're going to immediately demand that the second quarterback be traded or that one of the quarterbacks be traded. I don't really think that would have much staying power. I think you you let them compete. And again, I use college football as the example. If, If NFL quarterbacks are these delicate flowers, wouldn't college quarterbacks be even more delicate? 
since we don't even know how good those guys are and they're younger and they're not professionals and they're not getting paid millions of dollars uh, and they have the restrictions of where they can transfer and everything else associated with it. To me, I just I don't understand how this is considered to be controversial. If you wanted to do it and have them both compete, yes, you might trade one of them, but you might also wait a couple of years before you traded both of them. And look, if both of them ended up you thought being pretty good, then you could get some value for them. Yeah, you know what's going to be really interesting is if Saquon Barkley is still on the board when we get to number four. Because if he's gone, if the, say the Giants take Barkley, then you're the Browns. You have nothing to lose, especially if they want to go with Josh Allen, who has the potential to be a bust. I, it makes so much sense for the Browns to take two quarterbacks. It, it really does. And I saw this stat, and I thought it was interesting, too. This is from Warren Sharp uh, five years ago. Top 10 most expensive running backs were, on an average basis, if you were doing looking at the uh, salary cap, the average salary of the top 10 running backs was $8.36 million. Today, five years later, that number is $7.5 million. So the value of running backs at the top 10 positions, the 10 best running backs in the league, has declined. At the same time, every other position has gone up substantially in the league. I thought this was interesting data. The quarterback, in 2013, the average top 10 quarterbacks were making $15 million a year. Now they're making $25.5 million. All right, the wide receiver position was roughly the equivalent of a running back position five years ago. Now wide receivers have gone from $8.9 million to averaging $14.1 million. These are the top 10 at their position. Tight end hasn't gone up as much as I would have thought. Tight end probably still the best value on the board. Uh, the top 10 tight ends were $6 million in 2013. Now they're $8.7 million. Left tackles have gone from $8.8 million a year to $13.2 million. Cornerbacks, $9.9 million to thirteen point eight. And defensive ends have gone from $10.7 million to $14.9 million. So it's not just that running backs have not gone up. It's that they've declined in an era when overall spending for positions has skyrocketed. And I think that's working against Saquon Barkley. We'll talk with him tomorrow in hour two and ask him a little bit about that. He's already said he believes he deserves to be the overall number one player but I don't hear very many people saying the Browns should take him number one overall now. And I think also the question, to me, the linchpin of this draft is what are the Giants going to do it to? Because as Danny G just said, if they take Saquon Barkley at two overall, then it kind of opens up the possibility of what, like you said, the Browns could do it for. Could the Browns trade out? Uh, there's going to theoretically be a lot of interest in still those quarterbacks up at the top of the draft. If the Giants take a quarterback, then I think that kind of upsets everything because then there's going to be a run on quarterbacks. You know the first three picks will be quarterbacks. And and the more I look at these guys, and look, I've watched Sam Darnold play every significant game in his career. I've watched Josh uh, Rosen play a lot of big games in his career as well. I've watched Baker Mayfield play every big game in his career. I feel like I've watched all three of those guys. Lamar Jackson, I've watched play a ton as well. Uh, I took a lot of overs in Bobby Petrino uh, coached Louisville games. I haven't seen Josh Allen play that many games. I just never really watched him. 
So four of the five I feel really confident about. The fifth I haven't watched. If I break down these five, if I break down these five quarterbacks, here's how I'd break them down for you as we go into NFL Draft Week. One, Josh Rosen is the most ready to play, I think, immediately and the least likely to be a complete and total bust. Okay, I think that Rosen is a beautiful quarterback in terms of knowing all the mechanics, in terms of being able to make all the throws, in terms of looking like your prototypical pocket-passing quarterback. I'm not sure what his ceiling is. I'm not sure what his ceiling is, and I'm also not sure how much weight he can put on and how many big hits he can take in the NFL. When I look at Josh Rosen, I'm not really sure who I look at him as and think, oh, he projects to this position, right? I mean, like this quarterback who's currently in the league that is insanely successful. I'm not really sure what his ceiling is, but I'm confident that his floor is not complete bust. The opposite to me of Josh Rosen in this draft is Josh Allen because Josh Allen, when I watch him, has got a cannon for an arm, but I have no idea what he could be. He could be Ben Roethlisberger, big, strong quarterback, able to take some hits, able to handle some punishment, or he could be Kyle Bowler, guy with a cannon for an arm who looks like he should be able to be great, but he can't hit the broad side of a building. So to me, Josh Allen is a big risk. That's why if you were going to draft two quarterbacks, taking Josh Allen at four and maybe Sam Darnold at one would be a pretty good combo to me. Because I think Sam Darnold is like Andrew Luck before Andrew Luck's arm all went out of whack. I think he's big. I think he's strong. I think he's able to move in the pocket, throw from unexpected angles, I think that there is a lot of Andrew Luck in Sam Darnold, and I've thought that ever since I saw the way that he played in the Rose Bowl game against Penn State. That's when Sam Darnold became a star. That's when I think a lot of us opened our eyes and said, wow, this guy has some unique talents that everybody else does not. And so I don't think that Sam Darnold ends up a total bust, but I'm also not sure what his ceiling is, just because we haven't seen him play that much. He's only a redshirt sophomore, and remember – He didn't come in and take over at USC until three or four games into that season. Plus, if you want to be fair, the SC quarterback history, I know may not be a little bit fair, but you look at all the guys that have gone at a high level at SC, they have all these pro-style quarterbacks that are projected to be great, and Carson Palmer is the most successful of them so far, and I believe I'm correct that Carson Palmer won one playoff game in his career. That's at least worth contemplating a little bit. Um, To me, Baker Mayfield. Oh, man. The guy goes out and I think on the high end is Russell Wilson. I think on the high end, if you are looking at Baker Mayfield, you say, this guy can be Russell Wilson. I think on the low end, he's got some Johnny Manziel in him. Plays at a high level, but the kind of guy who plants the flag at midfield, grabs his groin in the opposite direction of this of the of the uh, opponents there. It's not that it's like this glaring issue, it's just that he plays the game on an edge. And I think that's what allows Baker Mayfield to succeed is that he plays the game on the edge. But I'm not sure when you're in the NFL when it becomes much more cerebral, 
whether you can be a guy who plays the game on the edge. Right now, think about it from your perspective. Who is the quarterback that most plays the game on the edge in the NFL right now? Quarterbacks need to be, in general, I think, skilled uh, tacticians. They need to be like commanding officers sitting back surveying the battlefield, playing with a high level of emotion like Baker Mayfield. There aren't a lot of guys that have managed to do that. Aaron Rodgers is a pretty emotional player. I would say he's probably the most emotional, successful Super Bowl winning quarterback in the league right now. You look around at everybody else who's won Super Bowls in recent history, by and large, they are not your emotional cheerleader on the field like Baker Mayfield would be. That makes me a little bit nervous just because it makes me think that Baker Mayfield is going to be more likely to experience the highs and lows of the NFL than other guys might. And if you are going to be that guy, the guy who's going to be up really high and down really low, I think the NFL is not for you. The NFL, you need, whether it's fair or foul, you need a guy who doesn't really, I think, react that much to the swings in the game. I think, honestly, that's what makes me the most nervous about Baker Mayfield. Lamar Jackson, I'm I'm not sold on Lamar Jackson at all. And the reason why I'm not sold on Lamar Jackson at all is I have not seen enough of him able to make plays just passing from the pocket. I know he has a big arm. I know he has the ability to throw the football all over the place, but I have not seen enough from him. And I know how good Bobby Petrino is. I know that Bobby Petrino is an offensive genius. He puts Lamar Jackson into positions to make a lot of really big plays. And when Lamar Jackson has gone up against SEC defenses, to the most NFL-like, he hasn't been very good. Now, I don't think Lamar Jackson had a great offensive line I don't think he had a lot of unbelievable skill position talent around him, but I still feel like Lamar Jackson does not make plays from the pocket consistently, and that makes me nervous. Combined with the fact that he got a 13 on the Wonderlick, that to me means he doesn't process information that quickly. It means there's going to be a lot of tutelage that he has to handle when he gets to the NFL. If you go look at what Bobby Petrino did, there were not that many times when I watched Lamar Jackson play where I felt like he knew exactly what to do in that offense. I think he looked to see if his first receiver was open, and then he started thinking about running. And that's not going to work in the NFL. You cannot run. Combine that with the fact that Lamar Jackson's build is pretty small. This is a guy who I think when he gets crushed by an NFL linebacker or an NFL D-tackle who will be infinitely faster than anything he's seen before, I don't know how healthy he's going to be. He reminds me of a slimmer RG3 without the accuracy that RG3 had from the pocket when he was at Baylor. That makes me really nervous if I'm thinking about drafting Lamar Jackson, particularly if I'm thinking about drafting him very high. That's how I would break down all five of the major quarterbacks that I think are likely to go in the first round. A lot of uncertainty about all of them, as there always is, there's no Andrew Luck out there this year. There's no Cam Newton where you look at him and you say, okay, this guy's going to be the number one overall pick. That'd give me a great deal of trepidation if I was the Browns. That's why, personally, I would contemplate taking two quarterbacks, particularly if you could get Sam Darnold and Josh Allen. I think it's likely one of the two of those guys end up being decent. If one of the two ends up being decent, the other guy you can get some value for can probably pull off a second-round pick 
if you trade him after a couple of years and they look decent, there's probably somebody who would give you a second-round pick for the guy that's not your starter. I think that's a decent move for the Browns. I honestly really do mean that uh, if you are them trying to make a decision. Now, if the Giants pass on the uh, taking a quarterback, uh, sorry, if the Giants take a quarterback or trade that pick and end up at two, then I think the Browns can go quarterback at one and take Saquon Barkley at four, and whether the quarterback succeeds or fails, you'll have the balancing act of Saquon Barkley, who I think is probably the most reliable offensive player on the board this year. I don't think it's likely Saquon Barkley is going to come in and be a bust. I think that he's going to come in and be pretty outstanding at the running back position. And so, even if the Browns swung and missed with their quarterback pick at one overall, they would still have the ability to go back in and get another quarterback in the next couple of years and still feel good about what they did in the draft if they get Saquon Barkley. If Barkley's gone at two to the Giants, then I think you really do have to look at potentially making a play and getting a second quarterback, or at least trading out at four. That would be my thoughts if I were the Browns. Let me bring in Eddie Garcia, find out what's shaking the world of sports. All right, Clay, in the NBA playoffs, the Cavaliers beat the Pacers 104-100. LeBron James, 32 points for Cleveland. as eight even the series at 2-2. Spurs avoid elimination with a 103-90 win over the Warriors. LaMarcus Aldridge, 22 points, 10 rebounds for San Antonio. Golden State still has the 3-1 advantage in the series. Wizards beat the Raptors 106-98. Bradley Beal, 31 points. John Wall, 27 points as the eighth seed in the East. Now has the series tied up with the one seed at 2-2. Bucks edge the Celtics 104-102. Giannis Antetokounmpo. 27 points from Milwaukee, including the game-winning tip-in with five seconds to play. That series is tied at two. NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. Penguins outscore the Flyers 8-5. Pittsburgh wins the series four games to two. Predators shut off the Avalanche 5-0. Nashville wins the series four games to two. This report brought to you by True Car. Online car shopping can be confusing, but not anymore with True Price from True Car. Now you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car. So visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. And Clay, White Sox relief pitcher Danny Farquhar remains in critical but stable condition after undergoing multiple surgeries over the weekend to relieve swelling on his brain. He suffered a brain hemorrhage while in the dugout during a game Friday night after pitching two-thirds of an inning against the Astros. The 31-year-old will remain in the hospital for at least the next three weeks. Let's hope he gets well. Um, Last question for you, or current poll question up. You can find me at Clay Travis. Big Sports Week, if you could only watch your favorite NBA or NHL playoff game this week or the first round of the NFL draft, which one would you pick? 5,000 of you have voted here in the first 20 minutes or so. NFL draft, 45% of you, the first round of the NFL draft would be your top sports pick. And then the NHL and the NBA pretty much evenly split. NHL playoff game, 29%. uh, 26% of you would pick your favorite NBA playoff game. That's the poll question up on OutKick. You can go vote on Twitter. You can find me there at Clay Travis. Final segment of the show up next we got a hero i want to give a shout out to uh in the city of nashville what he did during a uh live shooter situation not one of the guys who wants to give any publicity to these crazy ass multi-shooters these crazy loser shooters but when somebody is a hero i want to give a shout out if you haven't heard this story you're gonna make your monday morning a little bit better and tell you about all about this guy what he did that's up next i'm clay travis southgate the coverage on fox sports radio What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to Geico.com 15 minutes ago. Um, A while back, uh, I made the decision that I won't ever say a mass shooter's name 
on Twitter or on air ever again. Uh, And that's because I believe that a big reason why we have the mass shooter problem that we do in this country is because we treat these idiots as celebrities. And we treat them as people deserving of media attention. We dive into their history. We put them on the front page of the newspaper, front page of magazines. We put them all all over the television networks. We put their pictures everywhere. And I think that's the exact opposite of what we should be doing because I think that's why they do it. They do it for the attention. And I said, instead, I'm going to start telling the story of people who behave in a heroic fashion because they are the ones who deserve the attention. And so my hometown of Nashville uh, had a shooting this weekend at a Waffle House, and four people lost their lives. This crazy loser showed up, lunatic, with a gun. And there was a guy inside of that Waffle House named James Shaw Jr. He's 29 years old. Uh, Just before 4 a.m. when that shooting happened, he charged the shooter and uh, grabbed the gun's barrel, pulled it away, threw it over the Waffle House uh, uh, counter there. He suffered a gunshot wound and burns from grabbing the gun's barrel. And uh, he is a true hero. And he he is a, a native of Nashville and a graduate of Hunter's Lane High School. And if one of you out there uh, knows this guy, I would absolutely love to have him on to share his story with all of you. Uh, But he is a graduate of Tennessee State University um, uh, where he was a student and he works uh, here in the area. And to me, this, uh, this story in general is an example of true heroism. Uh, and here are some quotes from this guy, uh, James Shaw Jr., who was inside in this mass shooting when it was going on. I remember I was like, dang, I'm basically in a barrel. He said, there's no place for me to go. And I'm reading from a story at the Tennessean.com website, which is writing about this incident. As the suspect came through the door, he needed to reload. That's when Shaw Jr. rushed him. And here's his to quote, I distinctively remember thinking, that he's going to have to work for this kill. I had a chance to stop him, and thankfully I stopped him. I grabbed the gun, kept it down. He had one hand on it. I pulled it away and threw it over the bar. And uh, that is uh, a true example of heroism. And so uh, I want to give credit and, uh, and praise to people like James Shaw Jr., uh, Nashville native who probably saved countless lives by trying to stop this gunman who, by the way, is still at large. And I would also say that in the world of sports, if they want to combine these, that the Nashville Predators should do everything that they can. I'm not sure that they've officially announced what day round two of the NHL playoffs will start. Maybe on it dep- maybe it depends on what happens on games tonight, but Wednesday or Thursday – I would think would be game one of most of the uh, the round two series in the NHL. This guy needs to come out on the ice before the uh, before the uh, the start of that game and get uh, and get public acknowledgement to combine the world of sports for what he did. 
Uh, but I would also encourage you guys out there listening to me across all 50 states, everywhere in the country, to make the decision in your own lives, your own social media feeds, your own Facebook feeds, your own Twitter feeds, uh, your own discussions. Don't publicize the names of the shooters. Don't share articles about them. Share stories about the heroism that regular people like this guy that I just told you about. Uh, and and when we had the shooting down in Florida, I focused on the, the, the school teacher there and what he had done in giving up his life. I would say to you, pay attention to stories like James Shaw Jr. And if you're out there and you're listening to me right now and you know him, and I think there's probably a good chance that, that somebody who's out there listening right now or will listen on the podcast will, we would love to, uh, to get him on the radio show uh, and uh, allow him to uh, to tell his story. So uh, it's been a great weekend. Lots uh, lots going on. Let me circle back around. Uh, in a much less serious news, the NFL draft is going on. And as we head out for the show today, uh, Jason Martin, you got some good info. As much as we think about the Browns and the fact that they have, in our opinion, a futile record in the quarterback position, they haven't actually drafted that many quarterbacks in the top 10. Or the top 20. In 1970, they drafted Mike Phipps, uh, who doesn't remember him, from Purdue at number three. And since then, consider just think about the futility. Over two decades of futility since Bernie Kosar. They didn't draft Bernie Kosar, first of, first of all. They get Tim Couch in 1999 at the number one pick. We remember that. Then, other than that, Brady Quinn and Johnny Manziel is it in the first round. Both of them came at number 22. So of all those top 10 picks they've had, they've multiple times been at three, they've been at six, they've been at eight. I'm just looking at some of the numbers in front of me. They drafted other positions. Considering how few good quarterbacks that they've had, pretty much none, it's amazing to me that they have not drafted any quarterbacks in the top 10 with the exception of Tim Couch since 1970. That's yeah, unbelievable That's, that's pretty amazing because you do think when you think, and I think a lot of us out there when we hear the Browns, we think, man, they've just had so many different quarterbacks. But really they haven't taken a big swing and gotten that many of them in the top 10. Like you just said, one at number one overall, Tim Couch in 1999, since going all the way back to 1970. Yeah, I mean, it, it's utterly ridiculous. Like I said, Phipps in 70, Couch in 99, and then other than that, Brady Quinn in 07 at 22, and Johnny Manziel in 2014 at 22. They have drafted other positions. Sorry, one more. Brandon Wheaton, 22. Again, so apparently they like drafting a quarterback at 22. They've done it three times, but that's yeah. it. And, and that's honestly where it's really difficult. We did that stat where the top five quarterbacks – in the in the first round have had infinitely better success than anybody taken outside the top five uh has in general in the first round and so the idea that you're going to get a guy in the 20s who's going to pan out and be excellent it's actually a lot lower so that at least gives you some hope if you're a browns fan thanks to all of you for spending your monday edition with us thanks to james saw jr true hero out there this has been outkick on fox sports radio oh 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 o'reilly you need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.
Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch strata coaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com.